everybody. My name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. And welcome to What Makes It Great, the podcast where we go through the American Film Institute's list of greatest movies of all time in chronological order to figure out what makes it great. Um, how you been, Michael? I've been good, brother. How have you been? Pretty good. Pretty good. Getting adjusted to everything, but pretty good. And, it has uh, been a while since I've watched an old movie. Let me tell you, I was very, very used to it while we were doing those first six episodes, mm-hmm. and I am very not used to it now. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, it's it was interesting. So, um, so again, full disclosure, we had originally intended. This is we're in the middle of May right now. We had originally intended to uh, record this back in March, in the middle of March, and then COVID nineteen hit, and so we took a break from recording to kind of get adjusted and so but i had watched and taken notes about our movie two months ago um and then i hadn't seen it or even (laughs) thought about it until like this week when we figured out we could do this all again so Mm -hmm. i did have to re-watch it to refresh my mind on it and do basically re-take my notes and re-research a little bit but get my mind back in the groove of things but i think i'm there yeah Okay, good. Yeah, I only watched it this once. <laughs> I did not watch it two months ago. Um, and yeah, I watched it this weekend uh, here in my apartment. I think I watched the first half of it, and then I fell asleep. And then I watched the second half of it, and just I just went through the whole movie on Sunday. Um, I was like, okay, I for- kind of forgot the first half anyways, and so I just rewatched it. But I am determined to make it through every movie, well, most of the movies, from here on out in one sitting. I think it'll be a little easier going from here on out. Hopefully. Um, so the movie we're talking about this week is uh, 1930s All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, and the original list is ranked number 54, and it was not ranked on the 10th, excuse me, 10th anniversary list. Um, and so you said you recently watched it just within the last couple of days, and I also rewatched it yesterday, so a little fresh in my mind and hopefully pretty fresh in your mind. Yeah. Um, before we get into it, I, as usual, I kind of have some key players and some key concepts that we can go into. Mm-hmm. Um, first, for some of the key players is the, the author. It's based on a book, um, based on a novel by... Man named Lear. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a Beatles <laughs> reference. Um, so Eric Maria Ramos reference after <laughs> you do. You have to point it out. <laughs> uh, Eric Maria Remark, I believe, uh, um, was the author of the book. Mm-hmm. He was a soldier in World War One and wrote about a lot of his experiences in this book. Um, and uh, it was a successful book until the Nazis kind of came to power and it was banned by the Nazis and. He moved to Switzerland and then to the U.S. and then eventually back to Switzerland. But um, this book was pretty controversial at the time um, because it was a German anti-war book uh, at yeah. the time around the rise of Nazism and things like that. Um, so uh, it was, but quickly, very quickly adapted into a movie as we have experienced because World War One, you know, ended in the late teens and this movie came out in 1930. So about 10 years after. World War One ended. Um, that was probably the coolest part of this movie. I gotta interrupt you. That was probably the coolest part of this movie for me was that it was a World War One movie and book that was done in between World War One and World War Two. Right. Um, yeah. And it was just like all like book 
bam, movie, bam, all like in the span of a couple of years here before we get to the Second World War. And I thought that was really neat, like a, a very genuine perspective. Um, that is actually a concept I, that you bring up a super interesting point that I didn't think of until just now, um, thanks to you, is that oftentimes we talk about World War I in today's society within, as the context that it was like the precursor to World War II. Exactly. And the, yeah, this movie and this book came out prior to World War II, and so there is no World War II context to it. It is just mm-hmm. this was the Great War. This was the war to end all wars. There was not World War One. It was, it was just, you know, war. the World War. <laughs> yeah, the war. Which yeah, I think it that gives it a better historical context, and it puts it in a very very. Sp- special and like a narrow time frame um it's maybe maybe that's why it was taken out of the the next list because it was it's just like i don't know a lot of i bet you there's a ton of world war ii movies that are on the list mm-hmm. oh probably for sure um and that seems to be the the more kind of like popular war a lot of movies are made about world war ii uh, mm-hmm. but uh and a lot of the key figures in film history either were soldiers during world war ii or um are kind of part of that generation or may, or maybe just in the the generation where their parents were world war ii and world war one that generation's kind of almost forgotten to a lot of degree uh, at least yeah. nowadays definitely um, i took a so i was a history major in undergrad and i took one class called the first world war and it was an entire semester about about uh this war and mm-hmm. one of the books that we read was this book and i i i so i've i had read the book uh, a long time ago and i don't really recall too many details about it and i actually they it was made into a tv tv movie like or a tv miniseries uh maybe in the 70s or something that i remember watching in high school history class um but wow. so I was f- always familiar with the story. I had never seen this movie before, though, until watching it for this. Um, but all of that to say was that I took this whole semester's worth of classes on World War One, and to this day, I still could not tell you why the war is fought or <laughs> who, like who was on which side. I know like very very little about the why of this war. Um, yeah. It's super nebulous, and I feel like it has something to do with, like, ethnic cultural groups um, fighting kind of for their land, and and mm-hmm. then just kind of territorial, you know, fighting that kind of all just kind of got bigger and bigger and erupted into more worldwide scale kind of battling. But mm-hmm. it wasn't something as you know, World War Two has like. Clear good guys, clear bad guys, heroes and villains, and you know, yeah, take trying to take they over the world that war and... into a much more coherent story for everyone to consume, and maybe that's why there's just so many, so many movies and stuff about it. Um, I have a feeling that's going to be something that we talk about in the further podcasts or in the upcoming podcasts yeah. a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but before talking too much or you know jumping into the movie too much, what I really really liked and um took away from this film was i mean it was a it was pretty much an action film um Mm -hmm. made in 1930 which is really cool um but yeah the anti-war vibes that was like the biggest takeaway for me for sure 
Super, um, super. Anti-war vibes and whiny, whiny main character. I forget who that actor is. The guy who plays, uh, oh man, I can't remember his name in the movie right now, but he is just the, Paul. Paul. He was the worst. <laughs> I liked Paul. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I think Paul and my two favorite characters are Paul and Katzinski. He's the best. Yeah, Kat is the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll, um, so to uh, tr- to transition, Paul was played by an actor named Lou Ayers, um, okay. and he, when working on this movie, this movie led him to become a pacifist. Um, That's cool. And uh, he was a conscientious objector in World War II. Um, Good. He when he was drafted, but he he became a medic, so he refused to kind of, you know, take up weapons in the war. But he was a medic, and he served throughout the war. Um, a lot of people didn't realize that he served and that he, as a medic and that they just kind of found out that in the press he was a conscientious objector and was super heavily criticized for it and almost ruined his career. Wow. Uh, and so he did have a comeback later on and worked all the way through the 1980s, um, especially once it was kind of came out that he served the entire war as, just as a medic. Um, mm-hmm. So then people started to respect him again. And uh, like I said, worked through the 80s and then eventually died in 1996. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, so he kind of had a, a big, he got really big and then he was totally ostracized for a while and then made a comeback and, and kept working mm-hmm. all the way through the 80s. Um, and then That's the director good. is Lewis Milestone and he won two academy awards for best director he won for for the for which director for, for best director how they said the breast director oh sorry, sorry my, my my uh tongue might have slipped there it's like what um, kind of movie was this yeah that's a it's a new category um he anyway, uh, so he won best director for a movie called two arabian nights in 1927 and for this movie Oh, good. Um, he also, fun fact, directed the original Ocean's Eleven with the Rat Pack with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis cool. Jr. Um, he was the director for that. So those are some of the, the key players, the author of the book, the main actor, and the director of this. Um, gotcha. And I thought, I think that Lou Ayers did a great job as Paul um, in this oh, movie. We'll, don't get me wrong. We'll go I into it a little bit. I think he did a bit, great but... job. And I think I was just annoyed by his whininess and by his... We'll talk about it. Okay. We'll get yeah. to that. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to talk about that I think we'll talk about throughout is this key concept of pre-code Hollywood. Um, uh, so I looked it up. Basically, one of the first things I I was watched, or I took note of while I was watching this movie is, man, this movie is violent for coming out in 1930. Yeah, it is. Um, oh my gosh, it was. And so I w- went down the rabbit hole, and the reason for that is essentially there was no rating system um, at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they call pre-code Hollywood is this era of of movies that get made kind of between 1930 and 1934, um, where you have talking pictures, but you don't have any rating system. So it was kind of like the Wild West, and you saw a lot of movies that had um, things like violence and sex and nudity and profanity and all kinds of things that are in these movies. And then the Hayes Code comes out, which uh, in 1934, and says you can't have these things basically in movies. So in order for a movie to get released on a wide scale, um, they have to pass this Hayes Production Code um, that gets starts like... up in 1934 and goes all the way through into the 60s. And it kind of um, it 
it kind of get, begins to go away in the late 50s. There's some movies that apparently challenge it, start to challenge the code in the late 50s, but it, it's in 1968 is when the MPAA film rating system begins, and that's kind of what we have nowadays. Um, oh, dang. But so uh, I was like, what is going on? I was like, because there's no rating system. There's no oversight board about what kind of, what the content of movies can be. So those um, are just like filters of fun that they placed on cinema. <laughs> right. Like, and so how much fun can these people have? That's too much. Nope. Take out the boobs. Nope. No sex. Uh-uh. Nope. Violence. Eh, you can have some violence in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's one of the the main things that I took away from watching this movie is like, wow, I'm really more a lot more interested in maybe diving into some of these pre-code Hollywood movies that <laughs> that were able to be a little bit more expressive and people were a little bit more unfiltered in what they wanted to create, the art that they wanted to create, like this movie. Because um, I thought this movie was, um, spoiler, I think it's one of the better movies that we had have watched up to this point. I, yeah, I think it is one of the better ones. Um, and, you know, just interesting, to, you know, this whole project of ours, it started with the birth of a nation mm-hmm. it's interesting i you know now that you said that about the un unrated what you call it again the uh the uh Hayes code uncoded. or the, the pre-code pre-code yeah, pre-code hollywood here it will be interesting maybe i will check out a couple more films from this era that aren't on the list um mm-hmm. because i don't know it's interesting with the birth of a nation we saw like the the birth of a very very scary voice um storytelling voice in hollywood Mm -hmm. um and then now we're in the era of no codes and no filters and stuff and then it'll be interesting to see what happens after that era um and once they start you know deciding what can and can't be on there Mm -hmm. um and i think that'll be something i'm gonna i'm gonna keep an eye out you want to get into the movie let's get into the movie okay well why don't you kick things off a little bit because um it starts off with with they're in a classroom and the the teacher is is going yeah, on right. and on about, about nationalism nationalism and the got to uh, put your life out fighting the country. the country yeah that's right germany is uh the motherland and we must uh you know stand up and fight for our country because that is what's right you know i really enjoyed this scene um and this shot it like well, it technically opens up it's like it feels like doors are opening and the mm-hmm. cameras, it kind of like zooms out um, and backs up into the classroom, I think, through a window or something like that, mm-hmm, or goes mm-hmm. through a street into the window. Um, and yeah, this man with a mustache is telling all these children all this, uh, what you need to do, and you know, you need to be willing to put your life down for the greater good of the country. You are the life of the fatherland, you boys. You are the iron men of Germany. You are the gay heroes who will repulse the enemy when you are called upon to do so. It is not for me to suggest that any of you should stand up and offer to defend his country, but I wonder if such a thing is going through your heads. Then it goes on, and where does it go next? Do you go and you meet the soldiers after that? Well, it, it kind of yeah, leaves it, that they, with they a couple of really cool they... shots. They, like, set the scene with that, and then they do some, like, cool um, zoom-ins and cool like really subtle edits and stuff where they've got a lot of movement and a lot of stuff going on in the camera and i, I really like that that kind of sucked me in mm-hmm. um but that sets the scene and then from there they move forward and you said they enlist they enlist and then next thing that you see them is uh they're kind of in their barracks and they're 
talking about look at my boots my these these boots are the fi- fanciest mm-hmm. boots in the whole second division and or, or whatever it is and uh and I their old mailman becomes th- their like first sergeant or whatever um, that's right that's where, okay so Himmelstos. first off they are in they're in germany mm-hmm. and i thought that was a cool perspective also of this movie um, yeah, we're a, we're a lot in of America, so this is, these are the bad guys. That, yeah, that a lot of World War One is not told from the side of Germany, um, <laughs> definitely not. But yeah, it's very gung, you know, pro-war at the beginning, um, and then yeah, they're in like barracks, putting on their boots, and then yeah, Hiddle, Hiddle's what's his name? Himmelstos. Himmelstos. Yeah, yeah, their old mailman comes in, and he's a real hard ass, and they're all like, "Hey, hey, Himmelstos," and he like just chews them out, and. Yeah. Uh, and it's so it's such like, a I think that sets the the stage for so much because to me this is a it's it's a it's a fairly long movie it's 2 hours it's and something two hours. 2 hours and 15 yeah. minutes something like that and it's it kind of just slowly wears you down um just like yeah. the characters are being worn down of they're yeah. bright-eyed and hopeful and then by the end if they're still living, they are totally disillusioned and completely different characters. Himmelstos, okay. you see him at the very opening, and he's all like smiley with his twisted mustache, and he's like, "Hey, I, blah blah blah," and he's like, "I'm going. I'm in the reserve, so I'm gonna go back and be an army officer or whatever." And then the next thing you see him, he's completely different, stone-faced <laughs> and cruel, and and just really 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 tough um to all of these sergeant boys yeah. that uh that he knew yeah. and that that to me kind of mirrors or reflects what we're going to see in a lot of these characters is that they were going to be you know we're going to see them transform slowly from from those you know bright-eyed kind of hopeful Bushy characters tail. into either stone-faced types of people that are angry and disillusioned or that they're yeah or disillusioned excuse me and uh just kind of you know glass-eyed and and so we see that 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 to me was really important to be able to see that um early on because it set the tone for me like oh this this is this might be about character transformation throughout the thing yeah so we got themes of nationalism and Mm -hmm. uh you know, a little bit of pro-war, and then you've got a lot of, you know, character dynamics and people changing and growing. Um, and uh, what were those other themes there? Like, I guess, I mean, not, not coming up, like, not becoming a man or anything like that, but it's just the, uh, it's just the wear and tear. It's like a really good picture of the wear and tear that war can put on these young men, mm-hmm. which I would like to mention the very few World War One movies that I have seen um, definitely reflect it. This movie is basically, and this war is basically, bunkers and food and bombs mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> the majority of this war they were just like sitting or the majority of this movie they were just sitting in a bunker just waiting and couldn't sleep and the frustrations of bombs constantly going off all night mm-hmm. and um it just it seemed very real it was just the movie and the way the story was told it definitely guides you to get worn down like those soldiers that are in the bunkers, like our main character, Paul, and his uh, food-finding friend, Cat. Mm-hmm. When does Cat come in? He's, he shows up first either in a bunker or like they're in a house or something, and everyone's starving. Right, they're, they're, they're like, really hungry. They haven't had food in a little while, and Cat uh, shows up as the guy who can like get food. 
And they're like, oh, we got a guy. He sniffs it out every time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they go and they join the, their, they get recruited, you know, they get trained and, and it's terrible. And then they go and join, they go to their first combat um, fighting and they're getting, some of them are getting killed. And one of them, I don't remember if it happens there or if it happens later, but one of them gets hit in the face with something and he's like screaming, in my eyes, I'm blind. And yeah, yeah. it's like pretty shockingly violent for again i was like it's gonna be a war movie but it's an old one so that it'll just like fall over or whatever mm-hmm. um but this is you know uh, someone screaming out my eyes my eyes i'm blind kind of a thing and mm-hmm. i was like whoa okay i'm i'm in i'm in it now yeah but they meet cats and it wasn't so much like too. a it wasn't so much like a newer modern world war one movie where there's like a bunch of soldiers around, you know, and hurting. I remember that scene. It was like just him. Mm-hmm. It was like just a shot of him, but like with space behind him. It wasn't like a close up or anything. He was just standing there, like my eyes. Yeah, and then and he, run, like, that, he that runs. That seemed a little out of place. And gets shot by other people when he's doing. That. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, it seemed a little out of place. Like oh, they, you know, filmed it. That doesn't seem like it's filmed on scene or anything like that. But it was still really powerful, really moving. And you're like, oh mm-hmm. shit. But Cat, yeah. let's go back to Cat because he is a really good character, um, and I think yeah. maybe one of the better performances in the movie um, is the actor that plays Katzinski. Cat, um, he's just like he's got like a scrunched up face. He's a bigger, fatter guy, um, but his, his face like, is nose flat. Is his like, nose doesn't move like go out farther than <laughs> the yeah. rest of his face. <laughs> he's so distinctive looking, and honestly. That helps me in a lot of these older movies, especially movies with bigger casts. I'm like, now who is that one again? And I, yeah, it's hard for me to tell them apart. But this guy's so distinct looking; it's you know every time he's in the in the shot, and you're just kind of drawn yeah. to him. He's very magnetic, and and I think that really aids his performance in this movie. No, so much. Yeah, he's kind of the gri- so he's the grizzled veteran that they meet that kind of shows them, and and helps wipe one with one hand kind of wipe away any illusion that they had that this was going to be some sort of patriotic um glory glory hallelujah kind of thing but also mm-hmm. becomes their biggest supporter of surviving this thing and making the the most out of it and and brotherhood and those kinds of things as well he is a scrappy survivor that mm-hmm. cat mm-hmm. definitely a survivor and yeah that's right that it it really does wipe away the patriotism everything that they're supposed to say it's this is a good movie. I like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so right, they, let's keep going. So, yeah, so yeah, they meet Cat, and then they start getting disillusioned. They're 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 starting to die. Uh, some of them are getting blinded, and and there's another shot where they're getting attacked, and there's an explosion, and then when the smoke clears, um, there's just two severed hands hanging from barbed wire. That was such a cool shot. That is the oh, one man. shot of the movie that I will always remember. It's, it's so cool looking, but it's so it graphic so cool. and just so shocking uh-huh. um, that this level of violence could exist at this time. And Yeah, that was like horror movie-esque, like level of violence 1930. <laughs> yeah, it was, was cool. I was blown away. And I was like, whoa, this is so modern in a lot of ways for for having the guts to pull off something like that and for people uh-huh. to be okay with it. Yeah. Um I loved that about this movie that it, it just really seems very courageous. This this whole movie is so like I don't know if a movie like this could be made today in a lot of ways because of how controversial it could be and in terms of like obviously the violence for now is not that bad. 
But com- in context of that time, the violence was shockingly brutal. Um, mm-hmm. And the message of na- uh, that was in the movie of now is not that, in the context of now, is not that shocking. But uh, again, at the time, to have such a blatant anti-war um, film that rejects nationalism, that rejects the kind of you know, unwavering patriotism is um, super controversial. And I imagine that, um, that this movie probably wasn't held in quite the highest of esteems or just a few years after it came out when, it, when you know, World War II was picking up. Um, I'm sure. But, she, yeah, so that, those are some of the things that I thought. And, like, the other, the other really shocking thing is, is there's a scene where um, Paul is in a, in a uh, hole, like a trench hole or something, with a so- an enemy soldier, and, and he's dying and he's <clears throat> excuse me and he's stuck in that hole with him and mm-hmm. uh eventually he die the 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 guy dies with him in the hole but um yikes that was that was pretty rough too the part where he's just like doesn't leave that dead body mhm wasn't that cat oh that's at the end of the movie yeah spoiler <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that's that's what you're talking about, right? No, no. There's a part where he's in a tr- in a trench with an enemy soldier, and the enemy soldier is like wounded and is is hurt, and and he's kind of stuck with him for a little while in this hole while he's wounded and crying, and uh, eventually he the soldier dies, and um, oh yeah, and he's tr- he was trying to help him, um, but he didn't make it. So it's another just kind of yikes. This is rough. It's not you know, flags waving kind of a thing. And, and, uh, by that time he's totally disillusioned Paul. Yeah. And, uh, he eventually gets to go home and visit his family and, and he goes back to his old classroom. That's like way, way at the end. Hold on. Let's, let's talk about more of Paul's breaking down Go ahead. and Paul's ups and downs. So the movie is broken up, right? They join the, the army and then they go off and they meet cat and then they do a bunch of battle scenes and then there's like in between scenes. So there's a lot of violence and explosions and hands on fences, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of break it up, the movie up with some like they're all sitting either in a bunker or they're sitting in like a house and they're like starving and trying to get food and they're kind of just like talking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, not a very glamorous lifestyle, um, but in these in between scenes, <laughs> we have things like where you know so soldiers are in the hospital um and they're recovering like there's a scene um where one of the soldiers which i can't remember his name but you know at the beginning they're talking about their boots and then there's one soldier who loses a leg like he goes taken away mm-hmm. hold on hold on now i'm remembering there's this whole hospital yeah that is just got this creepy guy in it <laughs> <laughs> who it just like freaks everybody out in there he freaks mm-hmm. out paul and somebody else he's like this is the room where you're alive it's like once they take <laughs> you out of here you don't come back and then they're like what the hell you know and, yeah and paul's freaking out but there's a couple of scenes in hospitals and stuff um and one of the soldiers loses his leg he gets his leg amputated mm-hmm. and then the other soldiers come back and they're like talking to him and trying to console him and then uh, they're like, yeah, but you got this, um, you're going to have an artificial leg and it's going to be just as good. And then 
one soldier's like, oh, you dropped something, and looks under the bed and finds his, like, nice boots, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, so you don't really need these anymore, do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, like, start just, like, trying to get this guy who just lost his leg. They try to take his boots from him. <laughs> yeah. And it's Damn. it's such a weird thing of, like, whether it's, it's like, a weird contrast of of them trying to make the best of a situation, but also totally not recognizing the situation for what it is. And, yeah. and does that, sp- to me, that speaks of just, they've seen so much that, that they're kind of gone, that they're yeah. just in this new world that they are, okay, now this is what life is, this bizarre, take what you can get kind of thing. Yeah. Because there's That's not much true. else to, to live for. I mean, there's, there's just, they're so hopeless, but just kind of holding on to each other and holding on to to the small little joys of boots or whatever that they can get. Like the other mm-hmm. scene that kind of speaks to this is earlier they're, um, they are in a battle and they come back and they've prepared all this food for them. And, oh, yeah. and uh, they're like, Oh, well we prepared food for enough for however much, let's say it was like 200 and there's only 100 of you. So I don't know what to do now with all this extra food or whatever. And they're like, uh, give it to us. Yeah. Um, so and so they get to end up eating double portions because and they're all happy about it but underneath it is this message of they get to eat double portions because only half of them came back. Yeah, it's like there's 150 of you. I cooked for 150 and it's like there's only 80 of us now. Right. <laughs> and they're and like sweet double food, but it's also yeah, you're right. It's like, "Oh shit." Yeah, so it's half, just like sweet half numbers. Sweet nice boots, but oh, it's because this guy's got no leg. Yeah. You know, it's just this weird, you know, contrasting thing that they do i didn't realize again until this conversation how how much that comes up of yeah a lot of hey we lost a big chunk of ourselves um but i guess that means we get more bread or whatever it is you know and and just kind of that weird mental gymnastics you do to survive a situation like this yeah and it's a really I mean, it's a cool picture, and it I mean speaks that war has been the same throughout the ages, mm-hmm. um, and that you know humans have always been this complex and have always had these feelings. But you know these things are terrible, and they're going to do terrible things to <laughs> terrible gymnastics to overcome them and to keep trying to persevere and you know maintain some sense of normalcy. Just hilarious because <laughs> nowadays we're trying to maintain some sense of normalcy in the world, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and we all have to jump hoops and hurdles, like the hoops and hurdles I tell myself every day with uh, my uh, KN95 and my surgical mask and my goggles. I'm just like, man, this is great. I love this. I got mm-hmm. you know super comfortable and you know, yeah. But now I've got to wear. I don't think about. Oh yeah, I have to wear a mask now. Damn it, this really sucks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't do me any good, and just like it doesn't do them any good in that horrible horrible war to you know to focus on all the i don't know it's weird humans are weird this movie does a really good job of uh showing us that and making us think about that (laughs) and you i don't often think of older movies being going into these complex themes i i feel like a lot i think of a lot of these older movies as being much more surface level and just kind of what is on the screen is what there is all that it is but it takes conversations like these to really pull out these these things um mm-hmm. that we and maybe i think maybe i'm just biased because i'm used to thinking only 
you know, contemporary movies do that or they do that more because, but maybe it's just because I talk about contemporary movies more and I go see them and then I have a conversation with the people that I saw them with to pull them out. Yeah. And I just don't do yeah. that with these older ones. So mm-hmm. again, another reason why I love having this podcast with you, Michael, is because <laughs> I get to, it gives me an excuse to have these conversations and actually appreciate these movies a lot more than I would if I had just watched it by myself and then never again. Because yeah, at the beginning of this podcast, I said that this is already one of my favorite, more um, favorite ones that we have watched so far. But even mm-hmm. with, this, with this conversation, it's, it's rising it even more in my rankings. Yeah, same. It's definitely becoming more enjoyable now that I'm talking about it. Well, um, but so, so, talk about the... Go ahead. You go first. Well, I was going to say, the only other things I have to talk about the movie are at the cl- closer to the end. So if I wanted to look, um, throw it over to you and to, um, if you had anything else to talk about the movie besides the kind of classroom and the, the final cat okay. scenes and stuff. Okay. So I'll just talk about really quick. So I talked about the hospital stuff and I'll mm-hmm. kind of breeze through why I didn't really like Paul towards most of the movie. Um, he wasn't a very effective soldier, <laughs> I no. would say, Yeah, I towards would the beginning. And for the most of the movie, he was always kind of whiny and kind of like, oh, no, I don't want to do that and kind of scared, which, I mean, you know, I would probably be the same, too, if I was actually in that war. But for mm-hmm. movie's sake and for story's sake, I was like, no, you're kind of bugging me, guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like he was in the hospital a couple of times. I remember him just like freaking out and just like had a... He's just like, just really struggling, you know, like, <laughs> and it just wasn't like, it wasn't that enjoyable. But then he gets to the end. I think he actually does get a little injured and in, like his side or something gets mm-hmm. hurt or it's on an explosion or something near him. Um, and he has like a, a moment where he kind of, oh shit. And then he goes back out and then he gets like, or like he takes, not back out. He goes back into the city. Um, they give him like a three or four days or something, mm-hmm. right? That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, right. So he gets like kind of injured. They give him three to four days um, to go back, and then he goes into the city. Wait, when does Cat? Where are we in the story with Cat? When does Cat bite it? So, so it's after he. So Paul goes back to his hometown, and then he does at, that and first, then, and he does that, and then he then after that he goes back and meet and and talks with cat about i went back and they don't realize what's that's going right. on that's right that's right so, so yeah so he goes back paul returns to the classroom yeah that's where, where we started yeah. the film and he has this really epic and i could honestly i could feel this speech coming mm-hmm. from like he's sitting the there middle, and middle he's hearing the the per- that same teacher go off about and yeah, the, it's the, kind of the same shot too. It kind of like backs up into the classroom, mm-hmm. and the teacher's talking, and you know, flips around, and there's the the boys, um, and they're even and they're younger, even younger, even more excited. And then Paul comes; he's sitting there. Does he like stumble into the classroom? Is he just like listening outside the window or something? Uh, I I don't remember that detail. I feel like he was in the class because he wanted to. The professor might have invited him. Um, I think he was like walking around and then he like says something and the professor's like, Oh, come in, Paul. And like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. eggs him on. He's like, Tell us what do you think about the war? And he's like, What do I think about the war? Let me tell you what I think about the war. <laughs> yeah. And he's and like, he, This is all bullshit. And he just like yeah. rips him apart. And, you know, he's, he's like, You're this old man and, and sending off of these younger generation to, you know, it's, it is 
you know, very reminiscent of in American history of Vietnam, you know, of like the older generation sending off the younger generation to feel like they're dying in a needless war. And and there's a lot of parallels that I saw of like American Vietnam War movies seem very similar to to like World War One type of movies where it's a similar kind of. They're just you're just stuck. You're mired in in whatever well, German in, World War One, <laughs> right? You're, you're, true. <laughs> you're just stuck in the trenches in World War One, or you're just stuck in the jungle in, in Vietnam, and and yeah. you don't know why you're fighting necessarily, but you know you should be, and but you don't. The, your friends are dying, and there's all kinds of crazy ways that you're trying to, you know, stay sane and and justify what you're doing, and it's just taking all this huge toll on you, and and. Uh, and it's very, very similar. And so, and like, you know, the protest songs and things that come out around mm-hmm. Vietnam or echo a lot of the sentiments I thought that Paul was, was you know, was broadcasting in this. this in his speech in, in the his, classroom? Yes. No. No, Paul. I've been there. I know what it's like. But that's not what one dwells on, Paul. I heard you in here reciting that same old stuff, making more Iron Men. More young heroes. You still think it's beautiful and sweet to die for your country, don't you? Well, we used to think you knew. The first bombardment taught us better. It's dirty and painful to die for your country. When it comes to dying for your country, it's better not to die at all. Yeah, so he gives a speech and he's just like telling the guy that you're you're wrong, man. Like, this is all an illusion. You go out there, you'll see. And all the kids are like, you're wrong. You're not patriotic. You yeah. don't deserve to be doing this. And they all like chew They're him out. He's like, him. yeah. And then he like interrupts them. And he's like, um, you know what? I have three or four days off right now to see my family and to um, be here at home and have some sense of normalcy. But um, this isn't normal and it's never going to be normal again. And um, I'm going to just cut this short and go back to one day because I don't want to be here around you guys. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> and he's like, see ya. <laughs> he, he quickly and, you know, all that sums up is like quickly realizes that home is not home anymore. And yeah, what's what's home for him is the place that he might hate the most. But it's also the place that he kind of where people understand the only place that people understand him is just, at the war. And yeah. It's just like he gets the war. It he hates the war, but everyone there also hates the war, so they understand him. And no one at home understands yeah. what he's been through or understands what's really going on. And they and, seem to even love the war. Yeah, it's this weird, you know, like it's like an abusive relationship where it's you know you oftentimes in abusive relationships, it's you find the abuser finds himself going back to the uh, the abusee finds himself going back to the abuser and it's just like because mm-hmm. they don't know anything or or um like a, a prisoner what's the word recidivism where it's like they'll mm-hmm. they just don't know how to live life on outside of jail and so they'll do yeah. another crime to get back there and he's like i'm gonna skip the rest of my time off to get back there because it's even though it's the thing i hate and you don't understand and it's terrible it's the only it's the place where there's people that understand me it's the only place that i get mm-hmm it's so ter it's so terrible and so sad. And that's when he gets back and he goes and talk and he sees Cat and he's like, Cat, yay. Um, I you know, this is I went just back there and I told him how it is and they all thought, you know, it was a totally different thing and, and that we're just gonna be marching on to Paris and blah 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 and they laugh about how stupid they are and, and for not getting it and 
and mm-hmm. uh and eventually they're walking around and a bomb drops and it breaks cat's leg or something yeah like it's right near this is one of the funnier points it's like it blows up right near them mm-hmm. <laughs> and like right near them and they don't have like much wrong with them except for like cat's leg and then he just kind of like yeah dies. and so <laughs> yeah so then he he picks and paul picks up cat and starts walking back and they're talking another explosion goes off and you see you see that you know cat's head drops after that explosion and he stops talking and there's a shot from behind where it shows some blood on on the back of cat's head That's um, right, yeah. but uh paul thinks you're like ah they missed us again and and mm-hmm. he keeps walking and talking and eventually takes him back to a thing. He's like, hey, check him out. I think he passed out from a broken leg or something. And he's like, no, he's dead. It's like, no, no, no. He, like, his leg's just broken. He's like, no, he's dead. You didn't have to carry him all this way back. And then he, the, yeah. gu- the guy is like, and then he just goes back and sits down at the table with his friend playing cards. And Paul's like, what is happening here? Yeah. And yeah, that's basically sad. the end of the movie right there. That is the end it of the is. movie. There's one other. Oh no, no. There's sorry. There is a little. Scene, there's one more scene. After that, um, what happens after that? Uh, Paul's back in the trench, and he he looks out and he sees a butterfly, and reaches out for the butterfly, and a sniper That's shoots right. him. And you see Paul's hand as as he gets shot, and it just slowly That's goes right. limp, and Paul dies. Mm-hmm. And uh, the final shot brings it full circle, and it's the original shot of the 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 original cast the kids from this from the class marching off to war from the begin near the beginning of the movie and it's superimposed over a graveyard and um and they turn back to look at their hometown but really like at the camera and at the audience as they are marching off to their death basically yeah and and it's really a harrowing message of turning back to what I thought was looking back at the audience watching the movie and like, this is what's happening. This, this is what we're marching towards. What are you going to do about it? Like, yeah, we've told you this? everything. We've shown you everything. This is what it is. Now it's yeah. your turn to do something kind of a thing. It was a real call to action at the end of this movie, I thought, and a really powerful one, too. Um, and that's the end of All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Um, on that note, on that sentiment, you know, I wonder how many times in human history there have been wars like this and the people who are fighting the wars and the people who are not in charge and not the victors and the people who are suffering through it, you know, like how many messages, how many works of art, how many great things have come from the, that terrible suffering and this terrible suffering that Mm -hmm. has just gone on throughout human history that have like the point has been missed i mean like there's just Mm -hmm. been there keeps being more war films and there keeps being more of this similar message that you know like it's just sad that it's like hey don't do this but then somebody else has got a a louder speaker and they're saying nationalism is the best be patriotic uh the you know our country is the best go fight and die for your country you know like Right. It's like it's people go see sad. this movie and they're just and they're like, "Well, that was a good movie." And then they walk out and nothing happens or or do people, you know, like do you walk out and go, "Wow," and you sit with it and you realize what the movie's trying to say and do I it, you know, it it's challenges you. It's like, "Do I agree mm-hmm. with that movie's message? Do I disagree with that movie's message? Is it going to impact me in the way I live my life at all?" Yeah. Um and I think good mo- good movies 
it can entertain you and make you feel things. Great movies, I think, can do those same things while also challenging you and pushing you a little bit um, yeah. uh, to really think and be introspective about do, okay, I, I understand what this, the message of this movie is. Do I internalize it? Do I agree with it? Or do I disagree mm-hmm. with it? Or how, what's my reaction to it? And I thought this movie called for a reaction to it. It was like, what do you think about this? What are you going to do about this? Yeah, I wouldn't even say called for. I say, I say at the peak of the film, for me, he was the speech he gives in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that almost demands an emotional response from viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and at such an early part in cinema and film history, I think that that is just astounding. Um, and, and early part in like, you know, a talkie, like an early talkie. There aren't very many movies at this point in history with, you know, words <laughs> with audio. Right. Um, and like that was a, a really good speech and a really good book to turn into a movie for, I don't know how long, you know, movies have been <laughs> being turned into, or books have been turned into movies, but mm-hmm. probably since around this time, this is one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, going back to what makes it great for me, um, one thing that I did not talk about um, but I really enjoyed was some of the the, cam- the shots, the uh, filmmaking. They did a lot of shot reverse shot in this, which a lot of times is seen for conversation. You know, like I, I speak, camera's on me, cut back to you while you speak, or mm-hmm. cut to me while I'm listening and nodding, you know, and just back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one, they, they did it multiple times in this movie, um, but there was one that was a shot reverse shot, and it was a tracking shot. So they were... It showed a machine gunner, and it showed like the guy who was feeding the bullets into his machine gun, and mm-hmm. then it showed a bunch of people running um, on the other side of a trench or some barbed wire, and right. he was just going left to right, and the camera was moving with him, mm-hmm. and then he was just mowing down all sorts of people. Yeah. Um, and I thought for 1930, that was super impressive. Um, There's a couple other really, really good... like The way that it was made was... You know, like it was just so seamless. It, there isn't much to talk about, really, like... It it just felt so smooth and so good. You like were drawn towards the content of this movie more so than the filmmaking aspects of this movie, which mm-hmm. is why we spent the majority of this movie talking or this podcast talking about uh, you know, the compelling and tough like uh, existential dilemmas that are going on in this film. Um, but for me, the filmmaking was incredible, and that definitely makes it great. Um, but the acting and the, uh, the content and really the book and the story just nails it home for me. Yeah. I think I I would agree with every point you said. I, I do think that a lot of the editing, um, that they do, especially in the battle sequences do, does feel mm-hmm. very modern, does feel very, um, keeps the pace going and uh, a lot of really interesting things that were they were doing i liked your description of it and i i really i could picture that shot as you were describing it i i think that was a really one of the more um memorable moments of the film too um the movie when it came out was well received it was the first film to win outstanding production and best director at the oscars um outstanding production being like the best picture so it did win best picture and best director at the oscars it was also got a nomination for writing and cinematography but didn't win either one of those um Mm. steven spielberg credits it a lot with being a major influence on saving private ryan Um, and uh the the other thing that i like there's two other points about the kind of reception received is that it was not well received in germany um (laughs) the the nazi party at the time um which was coming to power or just starting to get into power disrupted screenings of it um and eventually got it banned in yeah i read something that they were this was one of the books that was being burned 
Oh like yeah, one I of the imagine. first ones on the list of like, all right, and we're getting rid of this anti-war piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I also saw that it was banned in Australia on the grounds of pacifism, and I was like, what is? Why would you ban something on the grounds of pacifism? So I tried to go into it more, but I couldn't find any more information That's about that. Hilarious. <laughs> um, so if any of our listeners out there can find an explanation of why Australia banned this on the grounds of pacifism, what that means, and why they would do that, please send that. In. Um, like our people were way too chill like we just needed some more murders in <laughs> australia so we threw that shit out yeah it's so bizarre the other so the other piece that i found in the reception of it was a review of from variety that the it quoted the variety reviews quoted as saying the league of nations which was the united nations uh, precursor the league of nations could make no better investment than to buy up the master print reproduce it in every language to be shown in all the nations until the world until the word war is taken out of dictionaries and i love that um, that's amazing it's so powerful and i think just it speaks so profoundly to the message of this movie and the effectiveness of the message of the movie um and that's one of the reasons why I think this movie makes it is great is one, I was blown away by the graphic real portrayal of war. It was truly harrowing from the performances to the shots to the editing. Um, it doesn't doesn't shy away from what the war is, um, especially yeah. for the time period and uh, presents it as it is and um, really made me interested in exploring a lot more pre-code era movies um, because yeah. of that. But mainly because it, it was a movie that had something to say, and it said it so effectively. Um, I kept thinking it had about something to say so much more than the other movies we've seen. Oh, right, God. and it, it's. It, I kept thinking, you know, um, about the birth of a nation when I was watching this because that movie was also a war movie that tried yeah. to, that at, at least said that it was per- trying to portray a message of pacifism and anti-war mentality um, in its inner titles and things like that. There was something like that said if. If we do nothing then to achieve that people hold war in abhorrence, then this message will not have been in vain or something was one of the titles in The Birth of a Nation. And how so basically the filmmakers of these two movies are trying to say the same message of war is war <laughs> is hell and just but the effectiveness of this movie at doing it versus that movie. And yeah was like mind blowing how great this movie was and how terrible that movie was. Um, and it's just like, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, um, we can remove the birth of a nation and we can keep intolerance on there for the same kind of techniques and stuff, but we can also remove birth of a nation and keep this movie on there as another example, a better example of having a a message in a movie that is effectively delivered and the same message that's more effectively delivered. So yeah, that's so what makes this that, movie great. So you say that this one was taken off of the list, right? It was, and the tenth anniversary was taken off, and the original version of the list it was fifty fourth, so it was like right in the middle of things. So big um, drop off, big drop off from fifty fourth to unranked. Um, I am really interested into the reason why that is, because if as of right now, if we're up to me, this movie would be on the list. Yeah, I this same. This one should be still on the list as of right now for me um yeah i I like how you compared this to birth of a nation that one always seems to be the one that i just go back to because it's so just shocking that it's even on the list to begin with Mm -hmm. but really what it, it seems like these two stories if they were really trying to say both say the same message Mm -hmm. i think that a birth of a nation 
could have done an effective job with all of the uh the money that they spent and the production costs and like the how extravagant it was you know but in reality they weren't trying to and they aren't trying to push that message of you know to uh, uh, what is this aberrance to war or whatever right that is just such bullshit and right. all they were trying to do was get you to um you know to believe what they believe and they're just pandering not pandering they were just using those techniques where as opposed to this one was trying to show something very real and trying to show real emotions and real mm-hmm. humans in these real situations like for the war part of a birth of a nation it was good you know it was a good like the first half was a good war film but it wasn't focused on war it was it was fantastical a little bit mm-hmm. this one was just so much more real yeah you know i hate paul because he's so whiny at the beginning of it but he was so much more of a real character than anything D.W. Griffith had made. <laughs> oh, 10, 100, 100%. No. Anyways, I think this movie should have been on the list still. Um, as of right now and moving forward, I'm keeping this one on my list in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think this, this one and uh, The General are probably my two. And maybe Sunrise are kind of like still up there at the top of my list for the movies that we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, well, that's Same. that's all I have for All Quiet on the Western Front. You got anything else? No, I think uh, I'm all quiet. <laughs> all quiet on the Michael front? <laughs> yeah, same over here. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, next time when we join, we're going to be talking about 1931's City Lights, directed by Charlie Chaplin, our second Charlie Chaplin movie. Um, and this one, I believe, is on um, that canopy service. Um, so... If you do have access to a public library or you have a university account, you might be able to have free access to the Canopy streaming service to watch along with us as we uh, talk about 1931 City Lights next time. It was ranked number 76 on the original list, and then it jumped all the way up to number 11 on the hey. 10th anniversary list. So this is that same Charlie Chaplin that's got that messed up personal life, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> that I'm not gonna <laughs> like too much because I'm gonna shoot myself in the. Well, foot. don't worry. Yeah. We won't. We won't talk too much about his personal life this time because we kind of already did that when we talked about the Gold Rush. So we'll just talk about right. dive straight into the mo- this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Chaplin's second movie on the list. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's next time on on What Makes Great. But for this week, my name is Andy Fernandez. <laughs> my name is Michael Fernandez. Thank you guys. We'll see you next time. Take care.